Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Best. Bloomberg Best is about the insight and the context that we get from our guests. It's a great way to catch up on some of the stories you might have missed on the Bloomberg. Stories you're not going to find in any other news organization. Bloomberg Best. Bloomberg's best stories of the week. Powered by 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries around the world. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. On this weekend edition of Bloomberg Best... We can be increasingly optimistic that science will win. Efforts to develop a COVID-19 vaccine gain momentum. The world will pay a very big price, not just for COVID, but beyond that, if we break trust. Risks are high for the drug makers. It is really hard to discover new drugs and vaccines. GSK's CEO says cooperation is key to success. All this and more coming up in the next hour of Bloomberg Best. All right, Ed, you know, we had a lot of good news on the COVID-19 front with so many companies reporting progress on a vaccine. Yeah, Denise, and one of those involved is GSK. And we had a chance to hear from the company's CEO, Emma Walmsley. Uh, she spoke on the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations. And David begins here by asking Walmsley how many times a day people ask her when the company's vaccine will be available. <laughs> yes, well, that's definitely a very regular question, whether it's from employees, customers, governments, media, or my mother. So uh, uh, very frequently. And obviously, um, we've all been delighted to see the very recent news of some of the first results that's coming through on vaccines. Yesterday, I was uh, just on a call last night with, with 10 of the global pharma CEOs who are all very heavily involved in, uh, in bringing solutions to COVID. And uh, we're really excited and optimistic to see some of the first data coming through and looking forward to seeing a lot more in the next six months uh, or so. We have three vaccines in the clinic and, and two therapeutic treatments. Um, Everyone is understandably uh, very impatient because I think the IMF said it's every month we wipe off the pandemic is 500 billion of uh, value for the world. But I think right now um, we can be increasingly optimistic that science will win and our industry that's mobilized so fast will start to bring some scale solutions. And we're going to need more than one, that's for sure. Now, normally to have a vaccine, it takes four to seven years. The polio vaccine was seven years. I think mumps and Ebola was four years. So this is being done in basically a year or so. So is it because um, you have so many people working on it that you'll be able to do it so quickly? Or is it less complicated than people originally thought? Well, it certainly remains a very complicated effort. But uh, when you're facing into a global crisis of this scale and this impact, there are many reasons that we have been able, as an industry, to mobilise behind getting to some faster solutions. Um, but the, real, the, the ways you get to go faster are an incredible mobilisation and partnership with regulators uh, and governments. The fact that we have all been uh, parallel pathing 
work that you might normally do sequentially, and that has been through putting capital uh, at risk. Um, but we've always, and, and that's why many of us uh, signed a commitment around the quality of the work, the scale of the trials, and the commitment to safety. And wherever the pressure might have understandably come from to go faster, we're all very committed to make sure that trust in vaccination is maintained, because the world will pay a very big price, not just for COVID, but beyond that, if we break trust in the quality of vaccination. And it has, frankly, been the biggest contribution to human health since clean water. And we need to make sure uh, that, that that's maintained for the future. So some people are not willing to take a vaccination. Uh, some people have said in surveys in the United States, only 25% or less of people say they want to take this vaccine because they think it's either been politicized and not sure it's safe, or some people just don't like vaccines anyway. Are you worried that people won't take the vaccine? Well, uh, yes, of course. I do think, um, uh, and we remain uh, concerned about vaccine hesitancy, but we also have to be incredibly respectful about why people have these questions. You know, have we been able to move fast? Have the companies put in the right kind of processes and scales of, uh, of trials? What transparency are we going to bring to these processes? And why do you hear about things being stopped and start again? What does all of this mean? So I think we, our job is to make the commitments we have, and we have very publicly about that alongside other uh, manufacturers, um, but, but also also make sure we share data transparently and partner with governments who ultimately are those that guide in different countries around policies and distributions to, to reassure people. And again, because, you know, vaccine, we don't worry about our children dying of measles anymore. Um, you can, you know, there are smallpox uh, is not, it has been eradicated, polio nearly so. And this is because of this incredible contribution to protecting people and protecting life is always better than intervening at a later stage. Now, you have uh, teamed up with the for the coronavirus vaccine with Sanofi, which is another large pharmaceutical company. I'm just curious, why did you team up with someone else? You, you're the biggest manufacturer of vaccines. Could you not have done this yourself? Well, um, I think it's one of the great things that we've all seen in many industries uh, through this pandemic is this incredible collaboration against a common uh, competitor or enemy. And when we announced our approaches to uh, vaccines development in the beginning of February, we said our best chance of contributing GSK science, technology and know-how was to offer our adjuvant technology, it's called, which helps make other vaccines more effective and an adjuvant technology that has been proven in pandemics to any credible partners. So we have three vaccines partnered in the clinic with others, uh, including Sanofi, um, uh, because that adjuvant technology is proven in pandemic to work on older people and means and, and is a more effective way to get to scale manufacturing, which is the other real challenge here. We need to probably provide up to 14 billion doses if we're in two dose vaccines to really protect the world. And so as well as getting to a safe and effective vaccine, we need to get to scale as fast as possible. And our route to that was partnership. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, there are two questions that people often ask as well about whether vaccines are uh, not only going to be available, but to whom are they going to be available first? Let's suppose you come up with one. Uh, who gets them first? Private equity professionals, do they get them first <laughs> or not in the first in line? And secondly, what's it going to cost? Well, Firstly, uh, these are two fundamental uh, questions. And again, right from the beginning, we said at GSK that our principles were around global access, which is why scale of manufacturing, getting to billions of doses and having multiple vaccine solutions, not just the first one off the block, matters. Some of the new technologies that are being um, distributed have to be distributed at minus 70 degrees, I think, which is not suitable uh, for going into some of the developing uh, uh, world. So we need access and we need response responsible pricing, which is why we declared that we would not expect to profit from any COVID vaccine during the pandemic uh, phase. We would reinvest any short-term profits in pandemic preparedness, donations to the developing world. Uh, we, in terms of who gets it, we are uh, contracted to governments in the, U the US, Europe, the UK, Canada and others. But we also just recently with Sanofi committed to 200 million, 200 million doses for COVAX uh, uh, as a starting point, which is particularly about supplying to the developing world where you have many vulnerable populations. The first principle should be the people who get it first are the people who need it most. Now, you are the largest vaccine manufacturer in the world, as I understand it. Um, some people say that vaccines are not the most profitable part of the pharmaceutical industry because, as I understand it, with a regular drug that one might manufacture, people might take it once a week, once a month or so forth. With vaccines, you take it once or twice and you're done. So some people say that the pharmaceutical industry doesn't really care about vaccines as much as maybe they should. Is that fair? And is it that profitable a business to be in the vaccine business? Well, first of all, I think everyone in the world, every family, community, company and country cares a lot more about vaccines and is looking at it a lot more now than perhaps we did uh, uh, two years ago or a year ago. Um, uh, we are the largest manufacturer. We have more than 30 vaccines. We ship 2 million vaccines a day. I think we vaccinate about 40% of, uh, uh, of the world's children. And it is a profitable business, but it's a business that comes with responsibility around access too. So why do you think it is that pharmaceutical companies, and you're one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, generally the public says maybe they are making too much money and maybe your image is not as good as you know, you would like it to be. Why do you think that's happened? And do you think there's anything the industry can do to improve its image with the public? I think this is a really fundamental question uh, for our industry because, I mean, you just need to look this year at how uh, mobilized we've been, what a difference we can make and how much for healthcare resilience globally, uh, our contribution uh, is required. And, and I, I am really proud of my company, but our industry for the way we've tried to collaborate for that. But the fact remains that we're still 
turning up in movies as the industry that people have criticisms of. And fundamentally, you can understand why there is this, when people, not just in developing countries, but in the most powerful countries in the world are still fighting for access to healthcare for themselves or the people they love. And there is this tension, as you say, between the human right to access to healthcare and profits in big corporates, a perceived tension. And frankly, I think um, the industry hasn't always historically helped itself, either because of a small number of egregious acts uh, on pricing or not enough transparency about why we do what we, how we do what we do and why it matters. And I think that what we can do about that is to do a better job of fulfilling our purpose to protect health, find new solutions to fight new diseases responsibly. So partnering with governments to help address out-of-pocket challenges, to bring more transparency and stability to how people can engage uh, with uh, healthcare, to champion access across the world, to be responsible always in our pricing, to bring uh, transparency to the way we work, but also do a better job of showing why it matters to everybody that we do that profitably. Because one in two of us gets cancer. One in three of us, maybe it's one in two too. It doesn't matter how successful all the people are that you interview, we, we don't have treatments for dementia and Alzheimer's and we need to keep fighting and investing to be able to solve these problems uh, for the future. So is it cheaper and easier for a company like GSK to go buy somebody that has already made a product and put it into your system rather than try to develop it yourself? Because I realize that it takes 10 years or more to develop a product. So is it easier sometimes and better to go buy something? And, and how do you see the trade-offs between the two? What we're all working uh, hard to do and uh, is get to a better quality pipeline. And it would be incredibly arrogant to think, you know, all the world's best scientists sit inside your company, which is why business development and M&A is so common in our industry. The other thing to remember is that, that because of the patent cliff model in pharma, you are Having to re, and it's another reason why, as well as delivering on our purpose responsibly, we have to do it profitably. You are having to reinvent your portfolio, you know, on a rolling decade basis because we invest in the innovation, we build that drug, and then rightly it comes off patent, can be genericized, and the sales are lost, you know, uh, uh, very aggressively and quickly. Now, you're a member of the Microsoft board. So I assume you have a fair degree of background now in technology and IT and other things like that. How have you been able to apply that to what you're doing at GSK? Um, well, I would never describe myself as having a, a background in technology and IT. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that was not why I was brought onto the Microsoft board. But it's a, an extraordinary company doing extraordinary things in an incredibly responsible way at a time when technology is changing the world and, uh, and industries, and, and I believe can be an incredible force for good. Um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what we look back on the 2020s as 
as standing for and, and meaning and what evolved. I, no doubt 2020, loads of people will be writing books about how to lead through a COVID crisis. But I, I think most of us believe that there will be other, you know, huge global issues that we'll have to address like climate change and inclusive economic recovery, et cetera. Um, uh, but I also believe health resilience will be on the agenda and the advances that the world has seen in biology, all of the genetics and genomics data that's coming through at the same time as the advances the world has seen in AI and machine learning, combined together have a real, real shot over the next decade to improve the productivity of R&D and science in my industry incredibly. You know, it is really hard to discover new drugs and vaccines. 90% of them fail, it takes a long time. Obviously the world has mobilized right now to get to faster solutions. And I hope we learn lessons in a way we partner with regulators and use new technologies to, to, to uh, permanently accelerate some of these processes. But the opportunity to use technology to, do a, to identify and, and the enormous amounts of data to identify better quality targets, so we have a biological target, so we have a higher probability of success of developing better medicines faster for these enormous unmet needs in the world, I think will be defining for the next decade. When you grew up, um, you went to Oxford and you majored in um, modern languages and classics. And as a general rule of thumb, most people running pharmaceutical companies are not majors in classics or romance languages. So when you were in Oxford, did you say you wanted to do what you're now doing or do you, what was your career ambition? Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that um, I spent most of my time in my master's looking at Latin poetry, which was not an obvious path uh, uh, to, towards this destiny so far. Um, and, and honestly, I... And probably the person you've interviewed who had the least strategic career plan ever. I, um, my entire work experience, uh, up until I left all studies, uh, was waitressing. Uh, I never had, you know, any kind of internship or anything like that. I went into consultancy for a few years because I needed to pay off my debts. And, um, and then, uh, because I spoke French, I was in charge of benchmarking L'Oreal um, uh, and I just got super curious about that industry and then took a pay cut to go and be the assistant assistant product manager on a home hair color and then spent 17 years uh, going all around the world just tremendous opportunities living and working in Paris in New York for five years uh, and then in China um, and never thought I'd leave and then had one of those kind of accidental meetings at the time in Shanghai uh, with the then CEO of GSK, who explain, explained and convinced uh, me that I should move into the consumer business uh, at GSK. Um, and uh, I couldn't resist the chance to pursue, a, I thought, a, a, a business with an incredibly important and impactful purpose. Um, uh, which is health, and, and also have the chance to run a, a global division. I had no idea that that would then lead to this, but um, it's been exciting so far. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So uh, what did your family say when you said, I'm going to be in the pharmaceutical or healthcare business? Um, well, my family, because um, I have four children and we were living in, uh, in, in Shanghai in China, and I said, guess what? I've got a new idea. We're not completely thrilled at the prospects at the time, um, but they... Uh, and then, you know, obviously, um, I mean, I grew up, uh, my father was uh, in the Navy his whole career. I grew up in a, in a military uh, family where there was a tremendous sense of work ethic and duty and responsibility. And, and I think, um, you know, they were incredibly proud uh, when we eventually uh, came back to the UK after being out for 10 years and, um, and excited to see uh, the work that we've been doing since. So you're a consumer healthcare specialist, in addition to a being a classics person and a modern language person, but then you, in effect, sold off or you've joint ventured your consumer healthcare business. Did you ever expect when you came to GSK that you would actually not be doing consumer healthcare and you'd be doing the traditional pharmaceutical healthcare? Well, the short answer to that is no, but I'm incredibly excited um, to see, frankly, the creation of two uh, world-leading businesses. And... Um, in consumer health, we uh, built the joint venture with Pfizer and declared at the time of doing that deal that we would, by around mid-22, separate that company out to be an independent company because it's the only uh, uh, standalone, dedicated to consumer healthcare, um, uh, consumer products company uh, in the world. It's got leading positions in leading markets in leading uh, 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 categories. And frankly, having it uh, inside as a slightly invisible division, a much bigger company whose number one priority is to Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 